Well, good morning again. I'm going to read the two passages of Scripture that speak about the office of deacon. Uh, bear with me when I try to read over these names. They're a little difficult. So the first passage comes from Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 1, and I think they might be on the screen. I'm reading it out of the NIV, so it'll probably be a little different. So this is what it says. In those days when the number of the disciples were increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them. And we and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Procurius, uh, Nyamara, Timon, Parmencia, and Nicolaus from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostle who prayed and laid their hands on them. Verse 7, so the word of God spread the number of the disciples in Jerusalem and in, in, increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. And then the second passage of Scripture speaks more to the character of a deacon. And starting in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8, In the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulgent in much wine, and they not pursuing dishonest games. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then, if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not m malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in every way. A deacon must be faithful to his wife, and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lee. Let's pray together. Lord God, we're always grateful when we can open your word. Remind us that it's not only about the plan of salvation, but about how you want to live through each and every one of us to spread your love and help us, too, to understand that the scriptures are given so that we may know how to conduct ourselves as a Christian church. Lord, today, as we come to recognize and ordain Michael Brandon, Tommy Cozart, and Stan Harris as deacons, Lord, we pray that you'll be in our midst not only that you'll speak to these three men as they become deacons of the church, but you'll speak to the church about our truly being a body of believers who will be servants in your kingdom's work. 
Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would take the Word of God and that we would hear the Word of God in a clear and simple way and that we'll all be encouraged to serve you, not just these three men, but all of us, Father. We give you the honor and the glory for saving us and for calling us to be a church and for commissioning us to be your witnesses wherever we go, whatever we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First of all, I want to talk about what an important day this is. First of all, this is an important day to these three men. Let me again, and you should know who these men are, Michael Brandon, Tommy Cozart, and Stan Harris. And it's not only an important day for them, but also for their wives and for their families. They have not only received the vote and approval of the church to be deacons, but they have also felt the call of God to a place of service in his church. And folks, let me tell you something. This has come after much prayer and soul searching on their part. I hope you don't think that anybody just rushes into my office and says, I want to be a deacon. You need to smile and laugh. I never had that happen before. And I don't believe it ever will happen. Folks, when you become a deacon, there are many things that you undertake to do, but it's all got to be done under the leadership and guidance of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's where it all begins. Folks, let me tell you the struggle that these three men had before they, they gave permission to be presented to the church. First of all, they sensed their unworthiness and their weaknesses and their fears. But as they approached God and prayed about this decision, they also sensed God's amazing grace. And let me tell you, anybody that is in any form of ministry, first of all, senses their unworthiness to the call of God. Whether it's to be a pastor or a youth pastor or a deacon or a Sunday school teacher, whatever role we have in church. But folks, along with that sense of unworthiness is the sense of God's amazing grace that he can take a sinner and transform their heart and transform their life and give them a new purpose and a place of service in the kingdom of God and in the church. And as these men have sensed their weaknesses, they've also sensed God's supernatural power. Let me tell you something. You and I cannot do God's work without supernatural power. And if we try and do it in our own strength, we are going to be miserable failures. And as these men have sensed their fears, they've also sensed God's promise. I'll never leave you or forsake you. I want to tell you something, that promise keeps me going from week to week that what we do as a church, what we do as Christians is done with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is faithful to us. And regardless of the position of service, when we surrender to him, he will never leave us or forsake us. Secondly, this is an important day in the kingdom of God. Folks, you and I must be reminded that there's a place of service for each one of us in God's kingdom. I want to say that again because I want you to hear this, not from me, but from God himself and from the word of God. There is a place of service for every born again believer in God's kingdom work. Not just the ordained folks, but every one of us. And folks, as we go through this service, we're reminded of the great calling to be servants to all. And that is patterned after the life of Jesus himself. And folks, there's another importance about this day, 
It's a great day in the life of the church. Let me tell you why. God has not stopped using us yet. And I believe he's got a whole lot more plan to do in not only this church, but every church. And folks, I know that runs against the grain. I'm, I'm told that churches are closing all over this country. Churches that once were proper, uh, prosperous and visible and active are beginning to close their door for all different reasons. But folks, God wants our doors open both for us to come in and grow in our faith and for us to go out and express that faith in ministry and love and service and in witness to others. Folks, I want to point something out about these three men. They're all different. Their backgrounds, their education, their age, and their family responsibility. But under the leadership and the power of the Holy Spirit, God promises to use them in his church to bring about fulfillment of his call to Teresa Baptist Church. And I hope you see there's just a couple more team members that are going to be working together with you. Well, folks, let me give you some biblical information about deacons. We need to ask the question, who are deacons? And I want to point something out in Philippians uh, chapter 1, verse 1. And look at this verse up on the overhead. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Now, folks, listen to what Paul says next. And please notice that Paul mentions three distinct groups within the church. Now, who do you think he mentions first? No, it's not the pastors. No, it's not the deacons. Who is it? To all the saints. And you know who the saints are? That is the rank and file membership of the church. That's you and me. That's me before I'm ordained as a pastor. That's the deacons before they're ordained as deacons. Folks, Paul is trying to tell us that the ones who are first importance in the church are those who sit in the pews every single Sunday. Why? Because people see you on an everyday basis, at work, at home, in the community. And folks, let me tell you something. There's no greater call than to be a saint. And a saint is not someone without sin or perfect. A saint is one who has been set aside for the kingdom of God. And folks, I don't know whether we live like it or not, but as a child of God, guess who we've been set aside to live for? For the Lord Jesus Christ. And folks, I want to tell you this morning, if you're looking at me to be the, I am the leader in, in a sense of the church, and the deacons are leaders, but you know who the most important folks in the church are? It is the saints, the members of the body of Christ. Comparable to a football team. Many would say, well, the coach is the most important. Well, how many plays does a coach run? How many times does a throw, coach throw the ball in a game? I'm not minimizing my duty as a pastor and the coach's job, but someone has said that in the church it's strange because we send the coaches on the field and the players sit on the sidelines and don't do anything. And folks, saints are mentioned first, I believe, because... They're the most important people in the church. You are. Preachers are going to come and go. Some not as soon as you would like for them to leave, but... And many of you might wonder, well, why in the world did we ordain them deacons? Because God led us to do it. But the deacons and the pastor wondered, why don't you 
understand God's got a mission for you too, and I'm not being sarcastic. Folks, don't wipe, wash your hands of the responsibility you have in the church of Jesus Christ. I've got to get back on the deacons, okay? But look, three distinct groups in the church. Number one, the saints. Then Paul says the bishops, and another word for that would be overseer or pastor. And then he says deacons, special servants of the church. Now, folks, I want to point something out. This is according to what? The Word of God. This is how God has set up the leadership of the church. All of us are to be involved. Who do deacons pattern their ministry after? Are deacons little preachers? I hope all of us, and I don't say this in a sarcastic way, are little Jesuses. Please hear that. Folks, listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 20, 25 to 28. It's on the screen. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. Steve, if you'll go to that. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your, say it with me, servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Folks, wouldn't this take our personal pride away? Can any of us stand up and say, well, I've got this great and important position in the church. We might be able to say that, but we must understand first, we must become a servant and slave to all. And folks... I don't know if it's good for me to put it this way or not, but we must work our way down to servanthood. Jesus washed people's feet. Jesus served his disciple at table. Folks, the church needs to realize again what the word deacon means. It means servant. And every one of us, in essence, are servants. In Matthew 20 verse 25 and following that I read, a servant was in the secular world a cook, a waiter, a messenger, a civil official. In other words, they served everybody else. Do you and I see that role? You know, we're living in a very spoiled society. All of us feel like somebody ought to be serving us. Somebody ought to be giving for us and doing for us. But in the kingdom of God, the role that God wants us to follow is following his son who was a servant of all. And folks, deacons, pastors, saints, church members, we're called to be servants of everybody. What is the origin of the office of deacon? A record of the beginning of the role of deacons, I feel, is given in Acts chapter 6. Now, folks, I know in those verses that Lee read earlier, the word deacon is not used not only in Acts 6 or anywhere else in the book of Acts. But can we not clearly see the work of deacons here? And let me give you the background of Acts 6. Following the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, the New Testament church began to explode with dynamic growth. The first disciples knew that Jesus loved and cared for the sick and the poor, and he did. And they began to take up that practice. 
But as the early church began to grow tremendously, the disciples began to see that they could not meet all of the needs of the poor and the sick. They began to say, preaching the word and praying is what we feel that we need to do the most. And folks, jealousy began to develop among the Hebrew Christians and the Greek Christians, the widows and the poor. And they began to think, well, the disciples are looking more after the Hebrew widows than the Greek widows. You know what this was? This was an attempt by Satan to disrupt the work of God. And so the apostles said, we've got more to do than we can physically do. So they summoned that early church together and they explained the situation. This is what it says in Acts 6 two. It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now listen, they were not rejecting the job because they felt above serving people, but they wanted to make preaching the word their priority in ministry. And so in Acts chapter 6, verse 3, the apostles recommend that the church, under the guidance of God, pick out seven men to be appointed to this duty. And these men, folks, didn't just become table servers. And deacons, I want to tell you, one of the most beautiful things began to happen with these seven men that were set aside to serve tables. Stephen became a great proclaimer of the faith. This is what Luke says in chapter 6 of Acts, verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. You know that Stephen eventually died for his faith in preaching of Jesus. He was stoned to death. You know that. I hope none of our deacons are going to be stoned to death. But, folks, it might happen. Philip, Philip, one of the deacons, became a missionary not only did he go to Samaria, but he went to the desert. You remember those stories in Acts 8? Folks, Philip fulfilled what the Lord had said in Acts 1-8, that you'll, take, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And Philip was one of the examples of that happening. Later on, Philip is called an evangelist in Acts 21, verse 8. Let me tell you the results of these deacons being chosen in Acts chapter 6. In verse 7, it says, And the word of God increased, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Secondly, the church became unified. The church, which was being polarized because one group thought that they were not being as cared for as well as the other group, they were brought back together by the service and ministry of the deacons. And folks, we still need peacemakers in the church. There are still people that think that they're being neglected. Folks, the total work of the church got done. The deacons sensed the physical needs of the people and served them, and the apostles served the spiritual needs by preaching the word and equipping the saints to serve. Shoulder to shoulder, Side by side, hand in hand, the ministry of the deacons and overseers and the people got carried out. And folks, let me point something out. And this is one of the most fantastic things. According to Acts 6, the church grew for the glory of God. 
when the pastor and the deacons and the church membership are working together, guess what happens? New believers are brought into the church. More and more people are wanting to the kingdom of God. Folks, we must get back to this New Testament pattern. But folks, what are the biblical qualifications of the deacons found in Acts chapter 6 and 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8 and following? Let me just mention some of these, okay? And they're on the screen. Acts chapter 6, verse 3 and 5. First of all, the men that were going to be chosen would be of honest report. That means that they had a good reputation within and without the church. Secondly, they were men full of the Holy Spirit in verse 3 and 5. And folks, this refers to these men being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Why would this be one of the qualifications of a deacon? Number one, spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit gives would be required of these men to faithfully serve their office. Secondly, the power of the Holy Spirit itself. Now, folks, I know that in Baptist circles anymore, we're afraid of the Spirit of God because we think we might become fanatical or some type of strange, weird person. But, folks, we're going to do a study. I, I, I promise you, this is on the horizon on the fruits of the Spirit of God. That's, that's enough. Let me get back on point, okay? The power of the Spirit. Deacons are not people of power, but people with power from the Holy Spirit of God. Let me explain what I mean by that. When I say that people, deacons are not people of power, sometimes I hear people say, well, the deacons are running the church. And that's not true, folks. The Holy Spirit of God is running the church if we're being faithful to God. And let me tell you something. These men have not been appointed and voted on to take control of this church. They have been voted on to set the example so that we'll look to Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit to do the work of the church. And these men are not the men of power at the church, but the men with the power of the Spirit of God. And folks, I hope there'll never be a group of people ruling this church. It will be the Holy Spirit of God ruling the church and in the Lord Jesus Christ as the head of the church. Full of wisdom, number three. God's wisdom. Not just smart folks, but people who have the wisdom from God, the ability to discern what is right and wrong, the ability to make wise spiritual decisions and to know what to do and say in difficult circumstances. Wisdom from the Holy Spirit of God. And folks, I want to tell you, and, and we cannot tell the details of this, but there have been many times that I've been the pastor here, and I know throughout the years, not only of this church, but every church, there are problems that come up in the church, and the first group that has to get on their knees and begin to pray and seek God's wisdom is the pastor and the deacons. And I promise you that we do that. And some decisions have been made in the past, have been gut-wrenching decisions, but we feel that we made them under the guidance and with the wisdom of the Holy Spirit of God. And number four, in verse five of Acts six, it says they were full of faith. You know what that means? We've got to keep our eyes on Jesus, not on ourselves, not on anybody else. Let's get to the qualifications mentioned in First Timothy chapter three, verses eight and following. Okay? They're on the overhead. 
Christian dedication. Verse 8, the deacon is to be serious. That's in the Revised Standard. The King James Version says grave. What does that mean? It means that deacons must have respect for the teaching of Christ. We're not going to run this church by our own wisdom and guidance of what we think is right and wrong, but we're going to do it as we respect the teachings of the Word of God and as we honor and believe in and follow the teaching of the Word of God. Whatever the situation, we'll not be ashamed to follow Christ and to follow His Word. Secondly, the deacon is to have truthfulness in speech. I like the way the revised uh, standard says, not double tongue. You know what that means, don't you? Saying one thing and doing another. A person whose speech can be trusted to be truthful. Now, folks, I know there's, there's not going to ever probably be a deacon in this church that talks as much junk and foolishness as I do, but I hope you know. I think God's got a great sense of humor. And... Um, I, I do know I'm going to have to give an account for some of the things I've said, but I think God knows I'm joking, and sometimes I hope you know that I'm joking. But I hope when you know that we get down to what is truth, that you can count on me hopefully and prayerfully to share the truth of God's Word with you. The deacons are not called to be liars or gossipers. They're called to be men of truth. Number three in verse eight, disciplined Christian living, not given to much wine, not greedy for gain. Both of these refer to the, to the uh, discipline of Christian conduct. And folks, I'd never really thought about it, but the Christians of the first century were living at a world of pagan excesses, a world that didn't have discipline. And folks, do you know something? I believe, I don't know how it was to live back in that first century, but folks, I believe that's a good description of our world today. Nobody wants any rules or regulations. No one wants to be disciplined to live in such a way to reflect the Lord Jesus Christ. Deacons are called to do that. And as the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, not for the satisfaction of self. Number four, Paul says that a deacon is to have integrity in his Christian conduct holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. A deacon must be a person whose lifestyle reflects a sincere effort to keep the teachings of Christ. And faith and conduct are related. Let me say that again. Faith and conduct are related. At all times, the deacon's actions, his speech, and his attitudes will reflect his belief in following and commitment to Christ. Number five in verse 10, proven spiritual maturity. This means tested. A man must be a deacon before being elected a deacon. Let me say that again. A man must be a deacon before being elected a deacon. Before a man can be considered as a deacon, he must be living as a deacon should live at that time. Verses 11 and 12, Paul talks about the deacon's family life. He is to be the husband of one wife. He is to rule his children in his own house well. Folks, I want to share something along those lines. 
I'm not trying to elevate deacons and preachers above anybody else, but I do know this from personal experience that if you surrender yourself to a place of service in the church, Satan puts a bullseye on you, and he will attack your family, he will attack your marriage, he will attack your children and your grandchildren. You need to pray for those in leadership positions in the church, that they will be found faithful as husbands, and they'll be found faithful as a father and grandfather. You know what God's saying here? A deacon must uphold the biblical institution of marriage and family. Folks, in just a few minutes, we're going to ordain these three men as deacons. Let me explain to you what that means, okay? The word ordination means to be set apart. Set apart. The service of ordination does not bestow any magical or mystical power on the persons being ordained. The act of ordination does not elevate a person above any other church member, nor does the act of ordination or the laying on of hands bestow any kind of authority on the person being ordained. But the service of ordination does express the church's confidence in the person being ordained. The church is saying to this person, we affirm your spiritual qualities your devotion to God, your commitment to this church, and your potential for servant ministry. As a part of the ordination in just a few minutes, those that have been ordained will come forward and lay their hands on these three men. And folks, you might say, that's bizarre. No, it's not. It is biblical. And let me quickly tell you why it is biblical. In the Old Testament, in Numbers 27, in Deuteronomy 34, and let me read these verses. It won't take but just a second, okay? Moses transferred his authority to Joshua upon whom he laid his hands. Just listen to this. Numbers 27. And the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua the son of man, a man, son of none, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand upon him. Cause him to stand before Eleazar the priest and all the congregation. You shall commission him in their sight. You shall invest him with some of your authority that all the congregation of the people of Israel may obey. And he shall stand before Eleazar the priest who shall inquire for him by the judgment of the Urim before the Lord. At his word they shall go out and at, at his word they shall come in both he and all the people of Israel with him, the whole congregation, and Moses did as the Lord commanded. He took Joshua and caused him to stand before Eleazar the priest and the whole congregation. And he laid his hands upon him and commissioned him as the Lord directed through Moses. And listen to Deuteronomy chapter 34 verse 9. And Joshua the son of Nun was full of the spirit of wisdom for Moses had laid his hands upon him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. And folks, listen. There are two instances in Acts where the laying on of hands is seen. Acts 6.6, 6, these they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And then in Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. Folks, 
I encourage you to read these passages of Scripture, and I especially encourage you to read Acts 13. Steve, if you'll bump it up to Acts 13, I want to read those first three verses. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. If you'll go to the next slide, Steve. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, now listen to this, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Folks, this is a high and holy day. Not, not to simply honor these three men and set them aside, but it is a way of saying, Lord, thank you. Thank you that you've still got work for us to do. And Lord, we want to be an obedient church. We want to follow the scriptural guidelines for, for having leadership within the church, but we all want to understand it's the work of all of us. And these men have volunteered under the call of God to become your servants. So I'm going to ask these three men, Michael Brandon, Tommy Cozart, and Stan Harris, to come and stand before the congregation. If you guys will stand facing the congregation. Scotty, would you come on up too? Franklin, would you come on up? Charge to the deacons. Do you promise to strive to so live that you may honor Christ by your life? And do you promise in the presence of this congregation to accept the responsibility of the office of deacon in this church and let it be and let and to the best of your knowledge and ability to discharge all duties of this office? Charge to the church. Do you members of this congregation acknowledge these men as deacons of this church? Do you promise to encourage and to pray for them in their office to cooperate with them in the fulfillment of the mission of the, of the church? If you do, you will so indicate by rising. Thank you. Let's pray. Our Father, which you are in heaven, Lord, we thank you, Father, for this day, Lord. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for the opportunity you've given us, Lord, that we can take a part in this today, today, Lord. Father, you gave us this three men, Lord. Father, now we give them back to you, Lord, that they may serve you, Lord, and do the best they can in each day, Lord. Their task won't be easy, Lord, but if they'll ask you to go before them, Lord, I pray in the Father that you will go and bless them in each, each and every way they'd go, Lord. Forgive us of our sins and mistakes, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to serve as Jesus. God us and direct us through this day. Keep us safe in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, I'm going to ask these three men if they'll kneel. And if you guys, however it's going to be most comfortable for you, if you want to face the altar and kneel by the kneeling benches or kneel by the communion table. And uh, we will do the biblical um, 
uh, ordination of laying on of hands. And again, we would like to ask all people who have been ordained if you would come and take part in this. Uh, if not, uh, if you would just sit there in your seats and would you please lift these three men and their families up in prayer as well as our church. At this time, I'm going to ask uh, all that are ordained if they'll come and lay hands upon these men. <laughs> 